Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Well, welcome back. And uh, I should, uh, first of all, ask the newcomers if they can raise their hand one more time. Okay, so we'll go around and, and say our names to people could remember these people and make them feel welcome afterwards. That would be really helpful. So we usually just go around and say our names, and I'll just start with myself. And if you feel like saying anything besides your name, please feel free, or otherwise, just go to the next person. So my name is Chris. My name is Gary. <coughs> my name is Carl. Uh, my name is Howard D. Quartz. I'm George. I'm Peter. <coughs> I'm Joe Good. <coughs> I'm Kay Matsuda. <coughs> Gary. <coughs> My name is Michael. My name is Junie. I'm Paul. My name is John. Peter. Larry. Marty. <coughs> David. Harlan. Uh, my name is Harley. Charlie. Bone. Peter. Richard. My name is Katie. Flint. <coughs> Will. I'm Tom. I'm Brian. I'm John. I'm Gabriel. I'm Eric. Michael. Jim. Don. Rupert. My name's Ray Dyer. My name is Cass. Uh, I'm Don. Three. Mark. Matt. I'm Joe. I'm Steve. My name's Peter. Philip. David. Jack. My name's Tom Bruin. Jay. My name is Tony. Did I miss anyone? I'm Jerry. I'm Mark. Well, today we have our speaker, and uh, forgive me if I don't pronounce his name perfectly well, but uh, Subarna Pravaha. Close enough. Let me call you, so your nickname is Savana Colin. Um, ordained in 2001 into the Western Buddhist Order, Savana is director of the San Francisco Buddhist Center, which is this building where we meet. And she teaches classes and retreats at the San Francisco Buddhist Center, SFBC, works <coughs> wellness and stress reduction through mindfulness at local businesses, and occasional cla meditation classes at the San Francisco County Jail. Her humorous advice column, Ask Auntie Savannah, is featured in wildmind.org's newsletter. Other writings have appeared in What Book? Buddha Poems from Beat to Hip Hop, 1998, and Challenging Times, Stories of Buddhist Practice When Things Get Tough in 2007. You can check out her blog at 2golden.blogspot.com. So I'll now I'll just turn it over to Sudan. Thank you. It is quite awesome to be here, I have to say. Um, I've never quite been in a situation like this before. So, <laughs> see how it goes. Um, 
so um, I'm just going to refer to a couple things in my talk, and I know we've got a range of experience going on here, so I just want to clarify a couple things. One is um, there's a Buddhist teacher who some of you might not have heard of called Sankarachita, and he's actually the founder of our order, which is the Western Buddhist order. Um, and um, the, our order was started in 1968 in London, and... Um, it emphasizes uh, creativity and imagination, spiritual friendship, study, meditation, and right livelihood. Um, and uh, Mahayana Buddhism um, is a form of Buddhism that um, appeared uh, later um, after the time of the historical Buddha. And it also very much um, emphasizes compassion and um, imagination, very other regarding. So um, Mahayana Buddhism especially emphasizes compassion uh, in the form of something called the Bodhisattva ideal. And I got this off of a book cover, actually, but I think it explains the spirit of the Bodhisattva very well. It says, in Mahayana Buddhism, the Bodhisattva's life exemplifies the resolution of the conflict between our own desires and the needs of others. The development of inner calm and positivity that leads to true wisdom is balanced by genuine and active concern for others, which flowers into great compassion. So if we think of wisdom as a willingness to acknowledge how things are, how things work, uh, including ourselves, um, part of this means um, that we are interacting with forms of life who do not want to acknowledge um, how things are, and that we are also one of those forms of life. Um, so this is this is how things are, uh, which is to say that there is suffering, um, because most of us do not accept life on its own terms. Uh, we prefer our own, um, and we stubbornly might even cling to our own terms, um, even if on some level we we know that it's unrealistic. So. Um, the Bodhisattva, this kind of ideal sort of being, is willing to acknowledge things um, and beings and ourselves as we are. And this requires an enormous amount of patience, which is uh, the subject of this talk. Um, or specifically in Sanskrit, the word is kshanti that I'm going to be talking about. Um, it's usually translated as patience. Um, it can also be translated as forbearance, endurance, and tolerance. So um, Sangharachita says, um, it is difficult to translate Kashanti by any, any one English word because it means a number of things. It means patience, patience with people, patience when things don't go our way. It means tolerance, allowing other people to have their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own beliefs, even their own prejudices. It means love and kindliness. It also means openness, Willingness to take things in, and especially receptivity to truth. So Kashanti means not only patience, but a constellation of other positive, life-affirming mental states uh, that we can cultivate. Um, tolerance, love, kindliness, generosity, openness, and receptivity. Um, it does not mean um, gritting your teeth, uh, harming yourself, silence, 
um, bottled up rage uh, or being a passive victim. Um, when we are patient, um, in this sense of the word, um, we are taking care of ourselves. Uh, sometimes we can take care of ourselves actually by being patient. Um, I think we can all agree that if most of the time, if not all of the time, um, impatience um, kind of adds more problems uh, to situations. So Kishanti is what is is one of what is known as um, either the six or the ten perfections of Mahayana Buddhism, depending on which uh, sort of list you have. Um, and uh, the six perfections are um, are grouped into three sets of pairs. So um, there's generosity and morality, um, patience and vigor and meditation and wisdom. So these various pairs um, balance each other. Um, so patience is balance, balanced with energy, and energy is balanced by patience. Um, and in the end, they will, they will, be, they will merge. Um, and we might notice that we have a tendency toward one or the other of these kind of poles um, I think personally I'm more of an energy type, kind of enthusiastic, um, which for many of us, uh, and for me, uh, means that I'm easily frustrated and prone to getting irritated. <laughs> um, so it's just, so I'm aware of that. It's just important for us to be aware of our tendencies and work with our habits uh, when we're trying to practice. Um, and I, I think this is probably one of the main things that we're doing in Buddhist practice is we are, we're working with our tendencies and becoming more and more aware of um, habitual responses that we have um, that um, aren't that helpful sometimes. And it's easy to think of patience as being something that's kind of passive, but I think this shows that um, that is not what is meant, at least by the Sanskrit word uh, kishanti. Um, kishanti is an expression of wisdom infused with energy, especially infused with loving energy. So Sangharachita also says, Kashanti is a form of awareness, an awareness of suffering in which one does not re react with anger. So I think of um, awareness of suffering as being like a prerequisite for us to, to be able to be patient. Um, if we could see somebody who annoys us um, as a suffering being, um, and acknowledge our responsibility in that dynamic that's going on uh, between us and this other person. Um, in a way, that's all we need to do. Um, so I think tuning into suffering um, is very important, um, which is not to say that the person is not responsible for their actions, um, but it's not really about that. I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of if we can look without self-reference at someone who say shouting at us, um, we will see that there is some pain there. So it's not really about excusing them; um, it's just about being aware of suffering um, as part of as part of how things are. <clears throat> Patience features uh, prominently in pre-Mahayana forms of Buddhism as well. Um, the Dhammapada says, uh, "Patience is the highest austerity." So at the time of the Buddha, and even today in India, there are all kinds of people who are going around trying to purify themselves and practice spiritually by uh, kinds of self-mortification, starvation, um, holding your arm up 
for six months until it starts to wither away, <laughs> this kind of thing. Um, and this kind of thing, uh, idea, it maybe even in more subtle forms, um, definitely still exists today. Um, but the Buddha said, uh, you don't need to physically harm yourself. Um, um, in other words, you don't need to go out looking for trouble. Uh, trouble will find you. <laughs> um, because the, our world is absolutely full of opportunities for us to practice. <laughs> um, so patience is the highest austerity. Um, I think the Buddha was quite a genius when he came up with that. Um, so um, I'm going to say some more about patience and things that we can work with. But maybe before I do that... Um, maybe we could be clear about um, things that are not patience. Um, uh, would anybody care to give an example? Something that is not patience? Mental state? Despair. Despair? Good. Anxiety. Anxiety? Anger. Anger, excellent. Endurance. Endurance? Swallowing, swallowing feelings. Swallowing feelings, great, thank you. Repressing. Repressing. Yeah. Indifference. Indifference, excellent. Seconds on ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Seconds on ice cream, I'm about to write that one down. <laughs> okay, one more non-patience. Restlessness. Restlessness. Yeah, Thank you. Aggression. Thank you. So um, I was thinking about the difference between patience and impatience, and I was reminded of the Taoist saying, um, soft overcomes hard, or soft wisdom overcomes hard wisdom. And by hardness I mean resistance, being brittle or rigid. Um, these are not wholesome mental states. Um, and I, I find that personally, I sometimes my response to kind of stress or some kind of an issue is that I do tend to kind of um, get this kind of protective thing that comes up or um, pseudo-protective thing, like a kind of toughness. So that's one of the things that I work with. I'm sure we have all our own customized responses. Um, and so the idea is that we need to keep the energy flowing um, between us and the world, um, even when we momentarily, uh, you know, we might hate the world sometimes, um, but we can't completely separate ourselves from it. Um, so just, just basically learning to live in a way that's healthy for us and for the world. Um, and uh, Mahayana literature takes kind of an uncompromising stance about anger. Um, for example, I believe this is from Shantideva who says, um, who's an Indian master. Uh, one moment of anger destroys all merits one has accumulated through practice. One moment. So that can be a bit depressing. <laughs> <laughs> um, because what's the point, really? Um, going on. Um, <laughs> so... Sometimes things get a bit over the top in the, some kinds of Buddhist literature. So I think um, one thing that's good to do is maybe not worry about taking things super literally um, and looking at the spirit of the teaching uh, rather than um, getting caught up in ideas that might just make ourselves feel 
bad about ourselves and not really help that much. Um, so I think the spirit of that quotation um, is that as aspiring bodhisattvas, we want to just be able to acknowledge our connectedness to other beings and anger, anger can cut us off. Um, I also, I heard a talk once where somebody was making a distinction between um, patients with animate versus inanimate objects. Um, um, and like that some people get, some people are like very patient with other people, um, but they'll get really pissed off like if they lose their keys or if um, the toothpaste tube isn't working or um, some things break. Um, and I noticed that some people have a lot of patience for animals and children, but hardly any for adults. Um, and <laughs> don't know which type you are. So, um, so obviously in this talk, I'm pretty much talking about uh, not so much about the inanimate objects, although that's an excellent excellent place for us to practice. Um, Starting with the easy stuff is kind of, or easier stuff is kind of a good idea, um, and that way we can have some practice in when maybe the more challenging things come around. So, so talking about other people and also, of course, about ourselves. So, I wanted to get into something a bit more practical as well, um, and I had, I thought of four areas that we can be mindful of that might help us to cultivate patience, um, and I ended up with an acronym which is RED, um, but then I had to do. 2Ds because I thought of another thing to add on to it. But anyway, I'm sure it'll be super easy to remember. Um, so the first part of RED, which is the R, is um, rationalization, um, especially of anger and other unskillful mental states. For example, righteous indignation. Um, so this is telling ourselves, so we're got pissed off about something, um, and so this is us telling ourselves that that anger is good justifying our feelings. Um, and I was just really kind of tripping on this because I was thinking, God, why do we always have to tell ourselves that we're right or that we're wrong or that we're good or that we're bad? Um, I think this really just puts another veil between us and um, what we're trying to perceive. And I, it's, you know, it's suffering. Um, some people might argue that it's suffering to tell yourself you're bad, but it's not suffering to tell yourself you're good. But um, although one might be slightly preferable over the other, I think they're both, um, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just not sure how real they are. And especially if they're kind of supporting us rationalizing, um, you know, negative mental states. Um, So we have anger. Uh, there's nothing wrong with anger insofar as it's just energy. It's just like it's just energy coming out, bursting forth even. Um, but I think when we're talking about expressing it, I think we need to be really careful or at least very mindful of what we're doing. Um, we need to not harm ourselves and other people, and this can be very tricky so, because we don't want to repress um, you know, swallow the feelings, and we don't want to cause harm, also. Um, and this is why just being aware of our thoughts and our emotions is so important, um, especially when they're strong. Um, you know, what do we do when we have a really strong emotion? Um, do, we, do we pin it on somebody else as blame? Do we say, okay, this, is, this has nothing to do with me. Um, this is totally somebody else's responsibility because that will not serve us um, to the extent that we have that attitude. Um, 
So it's not really about being right and wrong. Um, it's about being more interested in connecting or acknowledging our connectedness than in being right. Um, so the second, so that's rationalization. So the second part of my not perfect acronym red is expectations. So um, I read a fascinating book a few months ago. It was called um, Deep Survival. And uh, they, it was this guy studied why in certain kind of extreme situations certain people survived and some people did not. He was, he was looking at all kinds of reasons, but um, some very interesting ones were, uh, were psychological. Um, and one of the points that this book make was, made was that there aren't really any accidents. Like any kind of a system that you have um, isn't going to be perfect and it's guaranteed that some amount of the time it's going to break down. And that's just the way things work. Um, and the people who can't cope with changes in plans and actively work with them um, are often the ones who did not survive. Um, but I think this principle also just applies to our daily lives. Um, uh, for example, um, one thing that isn't an accident is illness uh, or physical pain. Um, illness is an intrinsic part of the human form, um, and no one on earth has ever escaped it. Um, yet our expectations are such that we expect that we're not going to get sick, and we might not even realize that until we get sick and we're super pissed off. <laughs> um, we expect not to age, and we don't realize that either until it suddenly starts happening. <laughs> I personally found that really quite shocking. But anyway, um, anyway, and I think a lot of times expectations are mostly unconscious, but we can find out um, you know, when we're surprised, something that was just perfectly obvious that it was going to happen, and it's like, wow, that was super shocking. Um, and another example of this is, actually, I remember reading something by Pema Children who said that... Um, there was, she was in contact with somebody who, I think they were an alcoholic and they had relapsed. And she was really disappointed and she was talking to her teacher and he said, um, you know, kind of like, what did you expect? And just be kind to the person, help them. Um, they don't really need your, like, disappointment. And of course, um, you know, those of us who are involved in 12-step type things know that relapse is also absolutely a part of that system as well. So, um, so why be surprised? That's the thing. Uh, so one last thing I'll say about expectations. I've really noticed this in terms of uh, family. Um, we seem like we always expect people in our family to behave completely differently than they always have. <laughs> and, uh, and so they do the thing that they always do, and you're just totally shocked, like, oh my God, how could they do that? It's really, it's quite this weird um, sort of, cognitive dissonance going on between um, you know, they've done that the last 400 times I've seen them <laughs> chances are they're going to continue um, and again we might not realize what we're expecting but then we're all offended or shocked or whatever it is um, so I, I think that's also a really interesting area to just look into a bit more um, and in a way, just not being so attached to results. We want to engage with things, um, see what we can do, and then we, we let it go. Um, one of the numerous things that is easy to say.
but not as easy to do. So, yes, rationalization, um, expectations, and then we come to, yes? There's a great quote you might want to use that says, I become aware of my expectations when they are not met. Yeah, that's great. Well, that would have been much shorter than what I'd said. defensiveness. Um, and again, this is something, we don't know what's going on. Somebody just says something. They might not even think they're saying anything, and you're like, you know, um, you know, it's like, we feel like we're being attacked. Somebody else could say exactly the same thing to someone else, and it doesn't bother them. But for some reason, they hit a spot. They hit a spot for us. Um, we might not even know it's there. Um, somehow it's getting at our sense of vulnerability, our fragility, um, so one um, excellent way that I get to practice this is when I read um, evaluations of um, like a class of offered or a retreat or something like that. It's absolutely excruciating. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it is, it's very useful also. And, um, you know, it lets me, you know, basically just, you know, find out what my insecurities are. Um, lucky me. Um, <laughs> I've also noticed that when the subject of money comes up at our board meetings, there's all this, um, people get defensive and everything gets super weird. So, um, anyway, something to be aware of. Something to be aware of in ourselves. Maybe we can ease up on blaming other people a bit if we just realize that we are being defensive, which is to say that our feelings are not, you know, are invalid or anything like that, but something to be aware of. And if somebody else is being super touchy, um, you know, maybe having a bit of sensitivity around that truth. And just, and again, like, rather than trying to be right, just seeing what we can do to um, connect with the situation. So, um, yeah, so the last D is, um, is doormat. <laughs> and, uh, this should be called um, passivity, but yeah, I was already having so many issues with the acronym. Like, it didn't work. So, um, so you might think, well, if I'm just patient and I don't ask for anything, um, people will walk all over me. And yes, they will. Um, or some people will. Um, so is that what this means? Is that what we're meant to be doing? But I think that if we think of the Dharma as the pinnacle of sanity and health, um, we will realize that... Um, it's not going to. That's not going to be including abuse. Um, it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense um, if we think of it in that kind of a framework. Um, so I hope it's clear that um, you know, like codependence, some kind of codependence thing in patients. Um, they're what are called near enemies um, in Buddhism. In other words, um, you might mistake one for the other, um, but they're not the same. Um, at least because of the motivation behind them, um, because codependence is motivated by fear and security confusion, craving, all sorts of other things. Um, Patience is motivated by an understanding of how things are, an understanding of interconnectedness that is infused with love. So rationalization, expectations, defensiveness, and the doormat um, are just areas we can bring mindfulness into. 
um, and more proactively, because sometimes these things are sort of happening after the fact, but more proactively we can resolve to bring patients into a situation or to a person before we even see them. Um, so as a way to just engage with challenges that we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen when we walk out the door. Um, we don't know at any time what's going to happen. So in a way, kind of having this sense of preparing ourselves for whatever may arise. For example, maybe when we get into our car, especially if we know we're a super aggro driver or whatever, um, when we get into our car, we can say, okay, you know, how am, if I get irritated or something happens or if there's traffic, like how am I, I going to respond to that? And in a way kind of, um, you know, not that we want to anticipate everything coming from all directions in a sort of anxious way, but, um, you know, stuff's happening all the time. We're always surprised by it. Um, so I was just wondering, okay, I'm just wrapping it up now, but I was just wondering um, if anybody would like to say um, perhaps an area of your life that is challenging for you that you think might benefit from you bringing more patience into your benefit yourself or the situation or the world. Any thoughts? Probably. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yes. Driving. Driving. Mm. Great. Yeah. House guests. House guests. <laughs> yeah. Roommates too. Aging. Aging. Mm. Dieting. Dieting. Perfect. Four month review. Four month review? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unemployment. Unemployment. Illness. Illness. Almost universal homophobia in my church. <laughs> universal homophobia in your church. All relationships. All relationships. <laughs> Excellent. It's pretty much endless, isn't it? <laughs> my question is, what pain do I have to recognize in a moment? Sorry? What <laughs> <laughs> pain do I have to recognize in reconciling with a Mormon? The Mormon. The Mormon. Oh. What pain do I have to do? Patriarchal oppression. That's a that's a great question. Let me just let me just wrap this up sure. and we'll and we'll get to that. You know it's funny, I actually had something in here. About the election, did I not get to it yet? No, no, I didn't. Um, so, uh, so Mahayana Buddhism says, um, think of people, <clears throat> think of enemies, people who bug you as your teachers. And uh, I do try to do this. Um, I try to accept situations I don't like and um, see if I can find a way for them to actually be helpful for me. Um, and this is counterintuitive in the extreme. Um, and yeah, I was I was really noticing in terms of this this sense of tolerance and kindliness, etc. I've I was just really aware during the election of um, my own intolerance, and I was very disturbed by it. Um, 
I found myself thinking with frustration that most American voters are such selfish idiots, for example. Um, and, but even when I, I noticed even when I was talking to people who were on the same page as me, um, I still, I just felt like getting really uh, kind of aggro, actually. And it was, I find it, I was, um, I don't think of myself as being that way. I think of myself as a tolerant person. So, um, yeah, it was kind of upsetting because I don't want to, I think part of the problem, of course, is intolerance. And uh, I don't want to be one of those people even from the other side. Um, so one of the verses from Tibetan Buddhism is from a teaching called the Seven Point Mind Training. It says, when the environment and its inhabitants are enslaved by evil, turn unfavorable circumstances into the path of awakening. When the environment and its inhabitants are enslaved by evil, turn unfavorable circumstances into the path of awakening. So again, thinking of people, um, what can we learn from the situations that we're in? Um, one thing that happens is we get our kind of hard spots get pointed out, and since they are rigid, rigid it hurts to have something pressed against them. Um, but of course, in a way, that's it's what we want sometimes. Um, and I think that this is the way that we can heal ourselves um, uh, by stopping stopping the fight. One of my favorite lines from Leonard Cohen is, um, ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So there's a crack in everything, um, and this is, again, this is part of the system that we live in. Um, and this is what we can bring our love and understanding into more and more every day, even if nobody else is doing it. So I'm just going to end with a few um, beautiful sentences about patience by Rilke. And he's talking, he's, he's talking in terms of being an artist, but of course um, we'll, we're all artists in terms of that we, we, create, we create our lives. So he says, being an artist means not numbering and counting, but ripening like a tree, which doesn't force its sap and stands confidently in the storms of spring. Summer comes only to those who are patient, who are there as if eternity lay before them, so unconcernedly silent and vast. I learn it every day of my life. Learn it with pain I am grateful for. Patience is everything. Yeah. So, um, oh, good. I am so glad. What were you thinking? Well, if I'm trying to imagine being a woman being affronted by uh, the hostility that we have towards them, uh, some of us, I mean, that, 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 that's a, it's a cultural thing, which manifested with Romney when he was elected. Uh, being affronted constantly by the sin or the, you know, the, in the world that they see, you know, that, that bothers them. Mean that it should be their way, 
you know, that, 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 that yeah. idea that seems to be like, you ought to, you're going to have to be like this because it's necessary, you know, the control. And of course, not having it. They, in other words, they were a lot about control. <laughs> yeah. And, and from Buddhist perspective, there is no control. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I, it occurred yeah. to me after Thank I you. Because my first one was, what pain do you have? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, this might have, I don't want to, for sure. <laughs> no, I just want to acknowledge, I think your question is a very good one. And what came to mind was the discussion about expectations. And we have to be careful in ourselves. We have certain expectations. Oh, if the world were only X. <laughs> that person, who may be a Mormon, also has expectations. Oh, if the world were only X. The commonality is that both are pursuing, trying to pursue uh, what we believe will lead to happiness. And just trying to accept each other from that perspective, first of all. Yeah. I just, my, my sister-in-law is a, a rabid Catholic and my, my brother is a fundamentalist and um, what's striking to me is that they're both pretty major control freaks and I, I spent about 10 years dialoguing with my brother about abortion and about you know, gayness and just everything that he found objectionable in the world and, and the thing that I find striking about him relative to other fundamentalists that I've met is that he's so clear that as a child he was terrified and he wanted something to be safe and he wanted somebody to tell him how to run his life in absolute terms with absolutely no doubt whatsoever. And, and so, you know, he's sort of clear on this weird philosophical way that the reason why he chose that path is because he was so afraid of, you know, fertility and the diversity and, and the anxiety of, of modern life. And he just wanted, you know, ironclad bars around him. And I, you know, it, it's, it's striking to me that he's so clear on that. I mean, I think a lot of the people may have chosen that subconsciously or whatever, but it, but it's just always struck me that the two closest fundamentalists that I know are, are very, you know, they're afraid, and it's very much about control. Please. Um, yesterday I went to the, not for very long, but to the demonstration at City Hall, and I saw some Banners. One of them said Mormons suck. And the other one, the, the second M in Mormon was crossed out so that it read moron. And I thought to myself, I don't know a lot of answers, but I know that the only thing that that can bring about is a reaction of anger on the part of on the part of, I mean, it's, it's so like, not promoting dialogue. Right. All bags burn in hell. Stuff yeah. like that. It just is a. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm at a pretty basic level. I just try, because a lot of the world pisses me off just for, I have my own list, you know. Uh, and I try, I mean, what I try to do is uh, keep my mouth shut you know, in inflammable situations. Um, because I feel better when I do. If I don't say, you know, get off the phone, asshole, you know, when I see somebody driving around like this, I actually feel a little bit better. 
That's and nice. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know, you know, I mean, I grapple with the questions of what's, you know, what is this kind of mealy mouth passivity that's masquerades itself as patient, which, you know, and cowardice in myself sometimes, so not to speak the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I am clear about is that it does not help if I add the word asshole to something. <laughs> That's wisdom right there. Hard, hard one. Yes. Making others wrong and yourself right, and then you get a little ego boost every time you can put a name on somebody else for an action you don't approve of, kind of thing. And it gives yourself a little uh, kind of identity uh, confirmation, maybe. Yeah. The being right thing seems really key. Um, I don't know. I think it's an I think it's an interesting thing to explore. Our kind of. Um, needing to be right as the kind of most important thing. But it's, you know, it's very challenging when you're in a situation where other, you know, where people, you know, basically want to actively limit your freedom or your expression or whatever it is. It's, it's, um, it's very challenging, but I guess then the question is, just like what you were saying, um, what's going to help? What's going to make the situation worse? And it might be that sometimes we don't care about that question and we're just pissed off. And you know, that's that's a choice that we can make that I'm sure we do sometimes. But maybe that's what we need to do sometimes. But. So I'm, I feel hesitant to say this here lest I be drummed out of the group. But well, good for you. <laughs> the California situation is different than the other states because as of January 1st of last year, people who become registered domestic partners have all the rights and responsibilities, etc., legally in California of a married couple, including needing to go to divorce, to a divorce court if you want to end the partnership. So there's oh, actually, I didn't know that. best of my knowledge, and people don't, which is very striking, there's no substantive material issue here. It's purely symbolic, yeah. which is not unimportant. But what strikes me both on our side and the other side is nobody's talking about that. They're, everybody's talking about it as if it's the substantive issues when it's really, as far as I understand, solely a matter of being right. Hmm. I, think sim I just I'll just say one quick thing. I, I think symbols are important. They are. Um, yeah, I mean. But what you've been willing to say it's it's yeah. about a symbol there. Yeah. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. Here, let's um, hang on. Let's let's get someone who hasn't spoken yet. Go ahead. I I agree that symbols are important, and I sympathize with your comment yesterday at the uh, demonstration in Walnut Creek. Uh, one sign stood out for me. Um, um, a woman was sitting next to a sign, and it said, "Nobody dreams of growing up and becoming a part of a domestic partnership." <laughs> 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 
Just the same as doing um, with this election that we've just had in, in a broader sense, that, that the real, for me, the real hope was that we could do things as a country differently, and so that we could, instead of being divisive, come together and hope for the future and hope for our kids and our communities. And So I kind of take that into my Prop 8 stuff and, and know that the Mormons or the Catholics or whoever came out and disparaged us and used divisiveness and lies to try to isolate us. They're just not on the right, they're not on the right path, they're not enlightened for the way I live my life. And to, to, to grant them love back and compassion, because to me it really seems to be about suffering, where they're just like the control thing reaching, which they'll never get. No matter, you can never let us have marriage if you think that that's the answer, you're not going to be happy. So I just try to bring it back into grant them love and compassion. And the, the thing that's really, for me, it's very selfish, but then I can give myself love and compassion because I have the same control issues as they do in different forms. So that's why we all have confusion of some kind. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Right, you and then you. Yeah, my, my comment is very similar in that uh, the, the anger that, that resulted from the from the uh, election. Uh, it's natural to to want to find someone to blame for for how it turned out. And and so my thinking is is that uh, um, we can generate that anger towards towards various groups or you know we can we can think about the fact that all those people just like us are suffering. Uh, it's a human universal experience and that uh, they want to be happy. And so for me, the way I, I kind of think about how to, how to deal with that anger is to say, well, include these people in, in my meta meditation and also realize that for some people who hold very strong doctrinal views, their minds are, are never going to be changed by anything we do. That's a good so point, yeah. Probably the reaction would be not to focus on trying to change their minds, but to uh, try to live as an example and focus our energies on minds that can be changed. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I just had a, a comment on your about the phone asshole. Um, I always say to people, you know, he has one, he doesn't love. Uh, and why is it that we take the word asshole and use it in a very bad way? What is it that, that part of my body that I don't like? I've, I've thought of that myself, actually. It's a very strange thing to call someone. Savannah, um, thank you for your presentation. Also, just a gratitude from our Sangha for this space mm -hmm. and the community that you have created for us. Um, it's just been a resource of incredible opportunity and patience uh, building for all of us. Yeah, and Sangha. So thank You're very you. Very welcome. It kind of seems a bit small for you, actually. <laughs> Each week, this Sangha continues to expand and grow, and it's yeah. just been um, a safe, comfortable, welcoming space. Yeah. So we want to express our gratitude. Well, it's lovely to have you here. You're a lovely group.
Um, how are we doing on time? Do we have time for more questions? Or? Mm -hmm. Two more questions. Okay, go ahead. You know, I have experience about anger. On election day, I was in Daly City at a polling place with a no on eight sign. And <clears throat> at, for the first few hours, I was there just with another person from no on eight. And people, some people I was aware were supportive, and other people ignored me. A couple of people said, you should be ashamed of yourself or something. And we were trained to say, have a nice day. And when I said that, it just confused the situation. But after a few hours, a woman arrived with a yes on eight sign and stood right near me. And then people who formerly, I think, would ignore me, some of them were giving her high fives or honking or there, you know, and, and greeting her like enthusiastically. And I just lost it after a while. This, this, this enthusiasm for taking away our rights and so eventually, one woman said to me, well, I'm voting for um, an African-American woman. I I'm voting yes, she said. I said, well, Barack Obama, because we have these cards open, is, is a against knowing it. I don't care. I'm voting yes. I said, what about Ms. Hedgenet? What about, you know, I just, so then I realized, well, look, I need to calm it, um, you know, so I kind of took care of myself. But I found it really painful to, to, to be exposed to this enthusiasm, yeah. whereas earlier, just being directly uh, uh, confronted was somehow easier for me to deal with. Sorry, we just. This will be our last question. Harley said it for a long time. Please. <laughs> Please, go ahead. Uh, thank you so much again. It's so wonderful to meet our host. Of, uh, that's been such an important part of our lives. Thank you for the, uh, the space and the energy. Uh, I just want to mention about talking about patients and how uh, to react to the. Uh, difficulties in our world. Uh, just with all that went on this week, uh, I just want to mention the uh, passing of a dear friend that I've known for 34 years who to me seems to be one of the most uh, incredible bodhisattvas that I've known in San Francisco, Hank Wilson. And to suggest that uh, folks take a look at the BAR this week who has his obituary on the front page. And I recall this man who has been so had been so active uh, for gay rights, for uh, AIDS rights, and for world rights and peace, and on how he lived his life with using anger, using frustration, using <coughs> political action, look, using in-your-face politics, but never having uh, disrespect, never having deceit, never backstabbing, always being honest. And so there are ways to be very, very active and to be very powerful without corrupting what you're trying to do. And um, I think that's the lessons we're all trying to deal with. We don't want to be passive. We don't want to be sweet, but you know, like, we're not Mr. Nice Got Gay anymore. But there's ways to do it. And I don't know, I'm just struck by this man who, to me, uh, watching him all these years, was able to accomplish so much without ruining um, his spirit or um, even with the most despicable pe people and being arrested and being abused but still doing it in a way mm -hmm. through love and compassion and humor. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, and again, uh, the, the obituary is very uh, um, um, descriptive, I think, of probably a lot of you know and seen, but it, to me it just describes a real important way of living a life and uh, up to me what a bodhisattva we were able to have in the city and make a change. So. Thank you. Thank you all very much. It was lovely to come here.
there a host today? Yes. Okay, take it away. There are some cookies outside. There's tea. Uh, please wash out your cup with so hot soapy water. Uh, uh, there's a donut bowl. We appreciate uh, your support. We uh, have a recommended range of five to eight dollars. Uh, but anything a widow's mite would be quite sufficient if that's what you want to give or can give. Uh, there's a place to sign up for the newsletter uh, or our website. And uh, there's also, if you should you want to be uh, on our membership list, there's a place to sign up for that. It's an email list, so you can do that. And uh, what if I left out? Lunch. Lunch, yes. Uh, at the end of the, uh, at 12.30 when we uh, you know, leave, Hope there may be a group. There often is a group outside the door uh, who will go to lunch together, and uh, uh, so you're welcome to join. And, uh, and any of the uh, any of the people who've not been here before and don't have somebody that they know that brought them, delighted to talk to them about us or anybody else here would probably be delighted to talk to them. So, so welcome. Any other announcements? Yes, hi. Uh, thanks again, Sivana, for coming. And our speaker next week will be Asil Jennings, who was here last month. Yeah, um, uh, uh, the steering committee just wants to um, uh, exhort you to be mindful of the vulnerable. Um, we are paying. We are paying our way, but um, we're having large crowds, and the vulnerable is not reflecting mm -hmm. the numbers. So we all live in a very expensive town. Or region and just <laughs> consider it not optional. And consider it not optional. <laughs> <laughs> could you could you clarify that though, Jim? You, you said in the past that that we have what we need. Do we need more money? Um, we are barely paying our way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I also just want to add we we do pay our speakers uh, seventy five dollars uh, each week. It usually, if they're not a member of the Sangha. So that takes a lot of the down too. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes, uh, GBF is planning uh, its annual uh, Thanksgiving Day potluck on Thanksgiving Day, and it will be held at my place. And, and, and there are flyers up there, and if you're interested in attending, uh, please let me know. I, we, Prefer to know what you might be bringing so that we won't end up with a chip and dip, you know, tasting or <laughs> call me or, or let me know. Here. <laughs> is, is there a flyer that I see for that? Yeah, yes. There, so like that. Other announcements here. Um, I'm hosting a <clears throat> gay men's mixer today at um, Mecca at 7 o'clock, and I think some other people from GBF are coming. So. There should be some familiar faces. I what guess what is that? I'm sorry? I didn't hear. Oh, I'm hosting a gay men's um, singles mixer today at Mecca at 7. Okay, thank you. Um, you can't marry someone you meet there, apparently. That may make some people feel better about coming. I do. Are there any other announcements? Anybody? Um, okay, so let's stand in a circle.
So this is a, a short transference of merit verse, and I'm going to say it three times. So if you would like to join me in any of that, please do. May the merit gained in my acting thus go to the alleviation of the suffering of all beings. May the merit gained in my acting thus go to the alleviation of the suffering of all beings. May the merit gained in my acting thus go to the alleviation of the suffering of all beings. Can we get some help putting the mats and cushions back, please? Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.